Welcome to Oz Property Investors, where your smart, no BS friends who tell you the most interesting stuff going on in property. Join your host, Jeff Miles, former mortgage broker and property developer, alongside Joe Tucker, Director of Property Principles Buyers Agency, as they interview some of Australia's top property experts and commentators, so we can all become better property investors together. We are live on Oz Property Investor. We bring the big names and we bring the big development fund this week. How are you going, Dan? What's, what's happening? Daniel Heath. Oh, Dan. Uh, everything at, at the moment, everything, including presenting with you guys. I'm very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. All right. I feel like I hit you there with a whole bunch of noise. Uh, I do that for people. They get it. Yeah. They're great to hear. Hello. How are you going, Joe? What's happening? Mate, I'm fantastic. I love talking property development. I think um, a lot of people are going to get value out of this one. It's uh, Property development is one of those things that I feel like a lot of people are scared of and because it's it's the fear of the unknown. They don't know what they don't know. And I guess you actually, you don't hear about how many people mess up development because then you've got those people that are, I, f I forgot what it's called, but like where they just jump straight in. They go head first without getting educated first and listening to the smart people. So I feel like there's people that have no idea that just jump straight in, but then people that are scared, they don't know what the process is. And we're going to do a whole heap of uh, deep diving onto what that process is how to find what's the title is how to find, how to find, find your next development deal your next development because you don't need to have everything you don't need to have the deal you don't need to have all the money and you don't need to have the skill um all the time you can find people to help you do those things um but how are you jeff how's you how are you more important yeah i feel i feel busy I'm, I'm looking forward to a little bit of a break over easter and and then sort of yeah but uh, no feeling really good and rba paused the cash rate yesterday to much consternation to the group, I saw posts and people, it really gets people fired up these days. Like, it's just amazing how many people are, it's, there's so much emotion around it. It's just the, the concept mm -hmm. of money, which uh, how, I'm how sure. Do you, how do you think about the this interest rate pause, um, Daniel? What are your thoughts to it? Yeah, it's interesting, right? Um, I mean, we've had the highest uh, rate of hikes in uh, a long time, if, if not the highest uh, rate of hikes. And I think a lot of people are looking for a bit of a breather. And, and I think, you know, some of that is driven by what's happening overseas, banks in the US, for example. Um, but I think it's good that it's hit a pause. The question is, where are we going to be at, at the end of the year? Are we going to start cutting rates? Are we going to still be at these rates that we are now? Um, and I think it's it's really that uncertainty for, for a lot of people. Um, but in terms of property development, people are still out there doing fantastic deals, right, irrespective of where interest rates sit. So, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a bit of a mixed bag depending on which seat and which angle you're looking at it from. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah, it's kind of, it's very topical at the moment. So for those that are, have tuned in, please uh, drop a comment, drop a like, do all that good stuff and ask your questions about anything you wanted to know about property development because we have a person, Dan, and I'll, I'll give an intro, but it's easy, he's done over $40 million worth of, of being involved in, in of, of that and is an active property developer as well. So if that's not enough knowledge and experience, then I think, yeah, it's it's great to have you on. So should we yeah, pump this into is, the quote of the week? Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, this is what I like about getting people that are at that next at that next level because you can talk to the basic stuff, but you can also help the more advanced person, you know, 
unpack what they're looking to do as well. Like what's that little, what are those couple of one percenters that are going to allow me to get to that next level? Um, so if anyone is a brand new investor, if anyone is a more advanced investor and like, oh, I don't know about X, pop it in the comments and we'll we'll jump to them and, and um, hopefully Dan can answer these ones. But yes, let's get to the quote of the week. Um, Dan, what is your quote of the week if you have one preloaded? We always do this to the poor guest where we're like, Hey, by the way, what's your quote of the week? Five minutes before we go live and um, it may not be loaded. <laughs> um, but what have you got, mate? Uh, it, if it's okay, it's a question. And the question Ooh. is, who's doing your due diligence? Um, and Ooh. that will, that will uh, hopefully um, have more meaning by the end of the presentation, hopefully. Um, but, uh, but yeah, who is doing your due diligence? Mm, that is a good question. That is a very good question to ask. And if that person is you, are you qualified enough to do it? Do you know what you're actually looking into? Um, and, what about you, Jeff? In this session, we hope to give you some answers. So mine, I thought I'd go with, because we had the developer's code, I, I thought it mm. made sense to go on brand, on theme. We have Leonardo da Vinci. Um, and so knowing is not enough. We must apply. So um, mm. just that, that uh, dovetails quite nicely into your thing at the start, Joe. It's about the enthusiastic amateurs who get into something and just don't realize the risk that they're taking. But then there's also the other end of the spectrum that those people, um, that they have all the knowledge, they've gone to all the seminars, all the webinars and all that sort of stuff, but they still haven't found their first deal. They've done one and they just haven't taken it to the next level. So I think that's kind of where I was pitching that quote to say, yes, you knowledge is important, but you need to also um, take action. So, I think my quotes are very yeah. similar most weeks but yeah i love it the great question that's come up that i'm sure we're going to talk about seed capital is always needed uh how do you finance so Ooh. awesome okay Steve, stay question. tuned hold on to you hold on to your seats down. we will get into that what is your quote Holding. of the week Joe? my quote of the week is um this is it experience taught me a few things one is to listen to your gut no matter how good something sounds on paper the second is that you're generally better off sticking to what you know. And the third is that sometimes your investments, the best investments are the ones you don't make. Um, three very good quotes from uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, I feel like that very sage, Joe. How did you get very that? sage you... advice um, from a uh, very uh, interesting, interesting man, um, but a man that has built billions of dollars in um, property development. So he's got some good stuff. But I do like that one. Listen to your gut. There are situations and times where you look at a deal and it's like, this makes sense on paper, but I just know you just know something is wrong with it. But as long as you know, as long as you actually know and have done the research, don't just say, oh, I don't like this one because it's got you know, of pigeons flying over the top of it. Um, yeah, I like it. Listen to your gut. Um, yeah. Are we done with quote of the week? We yeah. are, but uh, before we get into the, uh, the the sponsor, I'd like to give it, I'll give a bit of an overview for those who may not know. So we're going to talk to um, Dan's sort of first first purchase and property journey, which has some really uh, really great insights. And then we're going to talk to due diligence and five key aspects of that. Then we're gonna then we're gonna look at strategies on how to fund your develop your fund your development. So we're gonna talk about how to find them and then how to fund them. So did I miss anything, Joe or Dan? What what are we? Oh, summed you it up, it, mate. Summed okay. up perfectly. Let's go. 
This live session is sponsored by Scott Agate from Hello House. Scott has created the world's first property negotiation as a service business. So what does that mean? Well, let's think about it. When was the last time you negotiated on anything over $100, let alone a property that is going to be one of the biggest investments of your life? The vendor, they have a trained negotiator on their side in the form of a real estate agent. That's kind of like you stepping into the ring with Mike Tyson after never training a day of boxing in your life. These guys are trained professionals and that's what they do day in and day out. And this is what Hell House does every single day as well. They negotiate on property to get the best buy price from the real estate agents. Scott Agate, he's the expert negotiator. He has been in this industry since 1995. He owned and operated three Bell franchises. Scott was the guy that was teaching these real estate agents all these agent games. He knows all of their tricks. Having him on your side is going to give you a massive unfair advantage and literally save you tens of thousands of dollars. Unlike other ways of purchasing property, Scott's incentives are aligned with you, the buyer, meaning the more money he saves you, the more money he makes, which is what you want. You need to have those incentives aligned. Scott has kindly offered our group a massive discount on the retainer fee for his service. So if you're looking to buy your next home or investment property, click the link below to get in touch. Yeah, so get get in touch. But what I was uh, was going to say, so the person of the of, of the of the live, we have. Dan- so who is who is Daniel He? Who have we got in front of us tonight? So who is he? We have an active property developer. Oh, it's fifty million. Okay, did did I did you change that, Dan? I, I may have edited that last minute, Jeff. So okay, that's because I, I, so you need to you need to update your, your the website then because it only says forty million on your website. Gee, so yeah, what's but what's ten million between friends? Short I suppose change. so. <laughs> Yeah, just small change. A property deals for small to medium-sized resi developments over 16 years. So you look you look much younger than. Gee, I mean, did you do your first deal when you're 12, 13? That's uh, that's impressive. Well done. Um, you are also a property director at Crowd Property, which um, for those interested is an online platform that um, bridges property developers funding um, and, and all that sort of good stuff. So you've been heavily. I think you've also been heavily involved in the startup sort of community as well in many sort of a couple sort of, yeah. So I think you are, I'd call you an entrepreneur and somewhat of an innovator as well, I would say. Yeah, thank you. Um, I mean, I've, I've certainly been called much worse things. So I really appreciate that, Jeff. And um, <laughs> there we go. Really, really, really good to be here with you guys. And, and I, I, I thought about after having a chat with you guys um, earlier last week was how do we, Add value to the group, right? And and one of the things that you guys mentioned was was stories. So why don't we start with you know a couple of stories, uh, maybe some of the deals that I've done. Uh, I'll, I'll go through my first property deal ever that I did when I was in my early twenties. Um, yeah. We'll go through a current deal that that um, that uh, that we did that was completed about five months ago. Uh, we'll talk about some of the deals that Crowd Property is funded as well. Um, there'll be some tips too for. Um, for property developers out there, both uh, beginning and advanced, so tips on how to how to get your finance and some of the some of the um, some of the tips and tricks that that um, that can really help you on your on your journey. And for the property investors out there, how you can involve um, if you if you didn't want to do all of the difficult due diligence and and, and things like that involved with uh, with property investing. So there's there's something in it for everyone. And um, yeah, and like I said, very pleased to be here talking about it with with you guys, Jeff and Joe. Love that, mate. Love that. All about adding value. 
Um, awesome. So this is the session here, how to find and fund your next development. Daniel has put together some slides. Now, anyone that's listening to this on the podcast, this is not going to be one of those episodes where I think you're going to have to, you know, jump on. Um, you don't have to jump on the YouTube and don't end the podcast because you think it's going to be more visuals, but Keep there are listening to the podcast. Yeah. I would say don't bother jumping on YouTube. I think you're, I think hopefully you'll be all right here. Um, but I it's kind YouTube. of, I, yeah, if you're on YouTube, listen to it on YouTube. Hang on, let's just pop our little silly faces. Now, Daniel is part of a business that does property development, so he does have to have this disclaimer um, up here um, and read that and uh, acknowledge that, please. Um, but I'm more interested. Hit the screen in, if you agree. Yeah. I'm more interested in your property journey, Daniel. Let's let's dive in. So give us a bit of a rundown. What are we What are we looking at here, mate? This is your first yeah. first property purchase, was it? Yeah, first property purchase. Uh, it was yeah many years ago, mid mid two thousands. Uh, felt like yesterday, uh, probably because of how painful it was. Right, <laughs> like it's a it's a classic case of how many mistakes can you make on your very first property purchase. So, um, the the thing with this property, the location was really good. It was it was about ten k's outside of the Sydney CBD. Um, it was on 500 square wow. meters. It was on. Uh, it was a three-bedroom, uh, double-brick home. So it ticks a few boxes. But, Come to um, the boat. but very quickly, I, I realised that um, that you, um, you made the rookie mistake of paying too much. So you go to auction, you bid, and you just don't put your hand down, right? So I think mm-hmm. in the purchase, I think we would have paid probably somewhere between ten, maybe twelve percent over market for for the very first property. Which wow. is how, how much? How much was it, by the way? Was it a couple on like two or three hundred thousand or four hundred? It was four hundred and ninety-nine thousand uh, flat. Yeah. And, and are, we, are we talking? Are we are we talking west? Uh, west of the CBD? Are we talking north of the, or, or south of the south, CBD? Southwest. Southwest. Jeez. Uh, okay. Sydney. When wow. was this? Oh, two thousand three. Six. I think it was two thousand five. I think it was. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you know, paying too much is one thing, but then you quickly start to realise that it's not quite a cosmetic renovation, right? You you discover because of the termite damage, it's like okay, well now we've got to uh, also replace all of the bearers and joists on on the property, oh, wow. get rid of all of that. Um, did you know, you know about the termites before the the deal? I did not. No, I did not. And this was silliness and jumping to a deal too quickly, um, having seen the property once, but but without doing. Doing proper proper due diligence and so can can, uh, can I ask a question there about because you, you bought it at auction so if if you knowing having your time again and knowing what you know now would you if you were really serious about a deal would you do a a building a, a pest and building on it on on the property pre auction um, if I was bidding on it uh, and I was looking to retain the the property then then definitely yes Jeff um, the exception to that is. Um, these days we, we were involved in development. So a lot of times the property does get knocked over. It wasn't the case here. We were going to retain the property, do a, mm-hmm. a renovation um, and, and retain the property. So if it wasn't to be bowled over, I definitely would have done a um, a, um, a, a building pest report. And for, for what you're paying for a report, right, so it's a few hundred dollars, uh, maybe a thousand, mm-hmm. maybe a bit more. Uh, versus, uh, you know, back then it was a $499,000 property, a very small investment. Um, so in hindsight, yeah, that would have been nice, right, Jeff? Where, where were you back in mid-2000s? Uh, could you have still given in, me some still in high school. 
nappies. I was, I was going anyway. to my parents' eyes, actually. No, just was born. Yeah. No, yeah, I was, I was uh, only just uh, getting into. I was end of end of um, year ten, actually. Crazy, right? Um, so yeah. Yeah, Go but it's this. interesting. So, so, so the key lessons out of this. What, what did you take away? Like, what have you, what have you taken with you? What yeah. So, you so, so you can never do too much due diligence, right? Like, um, mm. have have a checklist, um, you know, classic, um, you guys may have heard of Atul Gawande, the, the, um, checklist, uh, manifesto. He's, so he's an American surgeon. He, he basically changed the way that surgery is done, um, and have a checklist, right. And we have checklists in what we do at crowd property. We have checklists in what we do in property development. And the thing is you, you don't miss stuff. If you have a checklist, it's, it's nothing, mm. you know, nothing magical about it. It's just there. You tick cross. Um, really important to have uh, a checklist template. And the, the second lesson that I learned, and this is not the end of the story here, um, is that bad luck probably compounds on bad decisions. <laughs> so um, so two days before the settlement, I, I showed up uh, to do my pre-settlement inspection. And, and of course, there's police tape out the front of, of this particular property. <laughs> so I said, went over, went over to the neighbours and I said, hey, what's going on here, guys? I said, you don't know? And you're purchasing the property. I said, yes, I am. I am oh, that fully no. property. So the, and you can't make this up, right? So the, the, the local person who decided to go and rob um, the local petrol station decided to take refuge in this particular property. So he's hidden his weapon in the gutter next to the house. He broke into the house. He stole the, um, the sort of blankets and things like that from the neighbors and basically took refuge for, for about two weeks until the, the sniffer dogs tracked him down. Um, so, from our perspective, there was police tape. There was there was uh, it was all over the local newspaper, and there was just it was just um, there, was, there was a couple of thousand dollars worth of damage done as well. So, um, so yeah. Oh, so yeah. good, good, good advertising. If you was it was that a, was that first uh, was it going to be a flip like so a Renault and flip was it? <laughs> it was going to be a, um, a a Renault and 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 keep actually. So um, so yeah. Sure about the no bad publicity thing on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like it doesn't apply to property. Uh, any publicity is good publicity when it comes to your property investment. Uh, but I had a very similar situation with a Renault of mine. I um, stupidly, it, w- it wasn't the best. It was definitely was not one of the best of the best areas. But I stupidly got all of the blinds delivered the day before. Um, mm-hmm. I was going to install them, so there were no blinds in the entire property. So anyone that walked past on the street, there's just these massive glass windows with no curtains, blinds or anything. And then all you look in, you turn your head right. And then you just see all of this brand new stuff sat in the middle of the, in the middle of the house. So then I get a call the next day from the, from the the blind guy saying, Hey, um, where are the blinds? <laughs> and I'm like, I, what do you mean? Um, but they somehow broke in. They didn't smash anything. They didn't break any walls or anything like that. The door, they unlocked it somehow, closed it, locked it again, and uh, just had missing blinds. So don't cool. deliver stuff if you don't have blinds. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. Okay, so this is, let me try and add this. Yeah. Is this the Renault? Bloody hell. You did all right. Yeah, it's um, uh, turned turned out okay. Um, you know, despite all the initial uh, headwinds on on this particular property, it yeah, it actually showed up all right. We we basically 
it, it was, by the way, is no longer a cosmetic renovation, right? We, we did everything, the doors, windows. Uh, I think mm. the only thing that remained in the place was, was actually the, the, uh, the roof, uh, the uh, rafters in the, in the ceiling, everything else had changed. We even rendered the exterior of it, but, um, but we did okay. We had it revalued and we ended up um, doing a, a profit on cost analysis on it. And it ended up being about 16% in, in the end. So, um, so he so yeah despite despite all of that um things can can still work out and and it's kind of a story for property development it's never a straightforward journey it's about how you land the plane right and and um and and how you navigate through the headwinds to to get to where you where you need to need to get do you to. still own this one these look like sales photos though but no we we sold it um a few years after um in oh, order to extract yeah extract out the equity um and to put into things like property developments and, and subdivisions actually so don't uh, uh, do you do you ever do you ever go back to that property and look at what it's worth now or you don't you don't do that to yourself uh no i mean i, I think if we all did that for every property that we we used to own we'd just go mad right like <laughs> I, I i i do it sometimes and i and i i, I You're sometimes not happy swear about it. a mirror <laughs> that's okay <laughs> So, so what was, so that sounds like it was very tough. Like, how did you fall? Like renovation is tough. And anyone that's like, oh, Renault's easy. You can make hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, you can, but, but it's not easy. It's uh, simple, not easy. Um, what, how'd you turn into a developer? Like, what, what was that? Where was that jump? And what happened? Yeah. So, so what gave me the confidence was actually doing this. That, that was my first project. I don't come from a, um, a, a tradesman background or I'm not, I'm not a, an inherent builder. Um, and, you know, if I figured if I was able to make profit where everything could possibly go wrong, then right. imagine if we did some things right. And so, um, so that kind of gave me the confidence to say, look, um, maybe this, this is not magic and maybe there is some sort of formula in this. Um, and so, yeah, so that gave me some confidence to do, Further deals. Uh, on the back of that, I thought I'd get some uh, mentoring. So I have a couple of mentors that I uh, still work with and, and talk to almost on a weekly basis that, that you know, uh, provide me with some advice and uh, they themselves are mentors. So I think that's very crucial, wow. very important. Um, and yeah, it's about it's about doing bigger deals over time, right? And that that didn't happen overnight. Like that, that was what, mid-2000s, 2006, so what's that, 17 years ago, um, and progressively doing bigger and bigger projects. Um, yeah, and so, and so, yeah, so it's, uh, it's uh, you, what do they say? You underestimate what you can do, uh, you overestimate mm. what you can do, and underestimate what you can do in 10, right? So if you're incrementally just doing um, bigger stuff and, and hopefully better stuff, then, then, um, then we'll, all, we'll all get there take take the lessons and and throw them into the throw them into the next one i love that okay um and now we've got another a picture of a house um big big block by the looks of things house smack bang in the middle of it don't think it's a retain and build what's this one no um definitely a, a knockdown rebuild so um this is a much more recent project so fast forward that um that 15 17 years this was a, a pandemic purchase um, and this project actually recently finished at the end of last year. So this was on about 750 square metres. What, what I really liked about it is, um, is its location. It's about seven minutes outside of CBD down Adelaide Way. And uh, it's got a massive frontage. It's, it's got 25 metre frontage. So we knew from doing 
research from doing due diligence from talking to town planners from talking to council from talking to our architects that we can fit three decent sized two-story um three bedroom two bathroom one car properties on there um but the interesting thing here was that we we made an offer it was accepted and we had a i think it was a it was either a 60 or a 90 day settlement and um, a few weeks before the settlement, the pandemic hit and the, the agent actually ended up calling us almost on a daily basis. I said, I said, what's, what's going on? He said, I just want to make sure that you settle on the property, right? I said, yes, it's unconditional. We've, we've, we've got two weeks to go. It's, it's, it's ready. And I said, what's, what's going on? He goes, well, there's a little bug that's going around and, you know, it's forcing people not to, not to settle their properties. And out of <laughs> properties that he sold, I think, three of them fell over despite them being unconditional but um, wow but but for us we we had done our homework uh, on this one we knew what we could put on there we knew that by the time we had built them in you know year and a half two years that uh, all the approvals and stuff that that probably was going to be a different market and um we we banked on that um and we we had enough margin in the deal to ensure that even in the worst case scenario we were we're still making some money. We're still in profit, and so that gave us the confidence for um, for, for us to move forward with with the deal. So how did, how like did you decide? How did you decide Adelaide? Like, it was a budget budgetary based, or what, what was the reason you went to Adelaide? Yeah, so it was, it was very much um, uh, so it was, it was very much um, market driven. Like, I mean, there's, there's positives about Adelaide, right? The wine. We used to holiday down in Adelaide. So we're very familiar with 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 the area, and um, what, one thing I like about Adelaide is the planning system. You know, it's very predictable. Um, I think I think I've mentioned to you guys that we we got a development through uh, in a matter of weeks, whereas uh, whereas in some other states, which shall remain nameless, uh, it's months before they even <laughs> look at your application. Victoria, um, maybe? like I said, every all, all, every other state, <laughs> every other state but South Australia. Um, <laughs> And so we liked about that, but the biggest driver, uh, guys, was uh, market forces. You know, I, I I looked at my own backyard in Sydney, and nothing stuck. We were doing tens, if not hundreds, of feasibilities. Nothing, nothing made sense. Went down to Adelaide. I think I did about ten, maybe fifteen feasos, and three of them stacked. So reached out to the wider network, and um, you know, grateful that people were able to help me out, put me put me onto good consultants and a good help. And uh, the rest is rest is history. So yeah, that's that's one thing I was going to mention is that you've gone from I found this property and I did the renovation and I did a lot of work on it. It's now changed to we we've now mm. done the development and we found it and we the partners and we. Um, so what what is that kind of? I mean, will this go into a deeper situation about the finance side of things? But um, I guess mm. can you talk to that a little bit? maybe give a bit of a teaser of what that actually looks like of, you know, as an individual that, that, that may not have hundreds of that. Well, you, you need to be three, you need to build three houses. So you need a lot of cash to be able to do that. Um, maybe just, yeah, let's talk to what that would look like. Yeah, absolutely. And, I, and I'm a, a big advocate of the, the property game is bricks and mortar. Yes, but it's actually a people game. Um, because if we try and do every single aspect of the deal, we would just we would just be overwhelmed. And to be quite frank, probably um, over our, our our ability and depth, right? So whilst we've had civil engineers, architects, uh, financiers, town planners, 
um, as a developer, you're actually none of those things. Your job is to actually maintain the trajectory of the project and make sure that you're making decisions that are keeping in line with where you want to go. And and you hire consultants that are local. So all of the consultants that we use on this project are local. Um, we, we hire people who have dealt with the councils that we've dealt with, have put through similar applications with a good, good success. And so that team... Um, and so it's the same on that, that that team that you built, you didn't know any of them. You there was because there's a question that's come up here. There's a, a a little little statement that someone says it's hard when you have no we, but mm. you had no mm. we in South Australia. So that might be a bit of a limiting belief that Facebook user has that you created the we yourself. Yeah, or so that was the person you had, that... you had a great network. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah so look this this wasn't the first project we, we did in adelaide right so this is the <laughs> you had a wee damn it <laughs> yeah, we had a wee but but look I, I can talk to when we first went down to adelaide and um and it's just about reaching out to the wider network to say look who do you use and, and are they are they reliable and i was fortunate enough to to have people that were very competent and very good at what they did and uh and they were happy to share you know uh, good consultants they used on on projects themselves um and, uh, and similarly, if somebody goes down to Adelaide, I would happily share the same guys that recommend and, and probably in many parts of Australia that we've done developments in as well, right? So um, I, I would say that um, the, the consultants you use on, on projects differ from, from, from project to project. So this is probably one of the smaller projects that we do, a very simple one into three. Um, the larger projects that we do, some of the um, some of the sort of large townhouses, uh, land divisions, et cetera, et cetera, different consultants, different caliber, um, and horses for courses. There's, there's, a, there's a, a good consultant out there for the right project, for the right time um, in, your, in your journey. You just got to go out and find one, I think. Yeah, and are there situations when you're starting out, you pay a little bit more for your consultants and you get more consultants on, for instance, like a, a helper, like a like there's buyers agents, right? Like who find investment grade properties, right? They, that's a helper. That person's going to find your development site for you. And then there's people that are developers that are like developer, like developer agents. If I don't, I don't know if you have a word for it, but it's just a developer that will help run the program for you and help do all of the things. They have all the connections and they do all of that stuff. The project um, but, project manager, isn't it, Joe? You'd say. Like you can actually hire like some would you do some town planners pro also help with project management dan or, or dan yeah look I, I mean i i'm big on outsourcing uh things right so engineers for engineering land surveys for land surveying um architects for, for for drawings and design um one thing that that i've learned that you can't outsource is whether a project is a go or a no-go um you've got to own that decision uh you've got to really take responsibility for whether a project moves forward or not because you don't know everything um, by the time you get into a project, right? You might be 80% confident that um, if all goes well, you'll make X profit, um, but you can't ever be 100% confident. And there's always a degree of risk in, in property development, in fact, in, in any investment. So, um, so for me, it's making sure that you own that decision. And, and, and once you've made that decision, running the project and, and, and that part could be outsourced to somebody like a PM or a DM, right? But, but you, you've got to really own that. Uh, yeah. That so a DM is yeah. a development manager for, as far as I know, Ooh. and PM is a project manager. 
Well, what's the difference? What's the difference for, between a, a, a PM that that DMs? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, they are to a certain extent interchangeable. You could you could argue that the project manager specifically is involved in the build process, whereas the development manager could be involved in things like um, acquisition, um, uh, getting the DA approved, um, getting finance mm-hmm. even. Um, so they're they're throughout the process. Where my understanding is that the PM is probably more involved in the in just the, the build process itself. And you would typically have a larger project to be able to, like, it would be a larger project that would need someone to just, just a PM and then you're not going to have both. You're going to, if you're just starting out and you're doing a, a retain and build or one into three or one into five, it's going to, you're not going to have that many people. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of the developers that I know are, are um, one or two man bands, right? They they go out and they they do everything. Uh, and and there are successful guys who are running, you know, 15, 20 projects all at once, and it's just one or two people. Um, and there are there are guys who are happily uh, have a full time or a part time job and, and doing property development part time as well. So you've mm. really got to find the balance of what works for you. And there's no, I guess, magical formula. Um, it's it's yeah, it's it's what works for you and what sort of projects you want to be doing, I guess. So you went with um, three three properties. So you knocked down one house, you cleared the land, and you subdivided them three into Torrance titles. Um, Why did you decide to go um, uh, two double story rather than single story? Um, yeah. And, and yeah. you talk to the cost difference between a single story and a double story property and time. Could you, um, could you show us? Oh, here we go. Everyone's looking at it. I was like, well, why aren't we looking at this? Yeah, oh, sorry, so, Jeff. so the, the we we knew the uh, the in the area that the target demographic is actually um, is actually a mixed target demographic. So we've got some first home buyers, we've got some professionals in the area, and we've also got quite a few downsizers, right? So people who are sitting on um, thousand square meters who don't really want to be doing um, who don't really want to be doing any more um, maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. So um, so th- having that mixed bag of, of target market at the end, you, you really want a product that, that appeals to all of them. So one of the key things that we did here was we actually put a master bedroom on the ground floor. Yeah. So, um, ah, so what that means is that great idea. even if you're a downsizer and you don't like climbing stairs, you can basically live downstairs. You've got your master bedroom, you've got your, your bathroom there, you've got your living. And, you know, when the grandkids come over or uh, when you've got visitors, Stick them upstairs so you're not having to climb those stairs every single day. The other reason why we went with two-story here was, was because the it, it just simply wasn't enough space. Like if you wanted a decent house here, I think it was 185 square metres of, of living, um, you really needed to do double-story. If we went with single-story, I think that would have been significantly less. And we knew from, from research that three-bedroom, two-bathroom, um, uh, and one garage properties were in demand, whereas the two bedroom, two bathroom was was far less in demand, and and the price point was quite significant. So we did numbers on both of those, and we realised very quickly uh, what the product had to be. Now, ideally, the the frontage would have been wider, and we hopefully could have done double garages, but that was not possible. But um, but you also can't have everything, right? So. <laughs> um, can I ask a question about how you learnt or how you decided on what the demographics uh, or demographic was in your area? Yeah, so so two couple of things. I mean, I I um I, I 
went out to Adelaide, checked it out, as as simple as that sounds, right? Walked the suburb. Um, I did. Would you say boots on the ground? Boots on the <laughs> boots on the ground. Absolutely, absolutely. You can't can't um, do it from a desk, can you, Joe? I mean, you have to have to visit an area. You have to smell the smell of fish and chips and and uh, get, smell maybe the fish and chips. I feel like so, you don't. Sorry, go on, Dan. Put that on a TikTok In, inside joke. Someone um, buy me a shirt that says "Boots on the Ground." <laughs> so yeah, so so boots on the ground and seeing the place, speaking to real estate agents in the area who've sold similar projects, um, and just say, look, who's, who's purchased them? Who are the buyers out there um, paying money for for this sort of thing? Um, and then just getting some um, some very basic, you know, ABS data. Just go well. In the last census, what does the typical family look like? What sort of housing do they live in? Is it detached? Is it units? Um, how many people's rent in, how many people rent in the area? How many people buy in the area? Um, and what sort of houses do they currently live in? And what sort of properties do they actually want to live in? Um, and if you create something that people want and ultimately uh, want to move into, then, then you're probably halfway to, um, to really a good development, I think. I'd say so. I'd say so. Um, and and time-wise on a development for a, a two story, is there much of a difference? Is it much of a muchness or is there a, a longer lead time? Cause time, time is money on, on these type of things as well. Yeah. Sorry. You did, you did ask that question. My apologies. Um, look, no. the, the single story is an easier build, right? There's no, there's no scaffolding. You, you put it up and, and away you go. So if you ask this question a couple of years ago, the standard, standard was was probably going to be somewhere between sort of six to nine months to have a build right so uh but wow. post pandemic world i think you know you, you could easily double that in in this day and age i think the the restrictions uh are easing i think the trades are easing i think the the uh, materials are certainly easing prices are coming back down so i think that eventually will will um, will curtail but until then i think allow plenty of time for for a development so one example on on this particular site was um the decision between timber frames and steel frames and i think you know uh i had this discussion with my very experienced building is the fourth generation builder down in adelaide and i said i said you know what what should we do here he, he we went in the period of three months we went timber steel timber steel timber steel and that was driven by <laughs> what was available coin. Pricing, yeah. pricing, um, availability, or hang on, we've, we've got a shortage here, or no, hang on, we can't do this. And, yeah, and then labour to do it as well. And people who were qualified to put up steel frames versus absolutely right. And so, wow. um, so I mean, we certainly didn't anticipate that going into the deal, but these are sorts of things that you, you have to deal with as, as they... Uh, as this they... would have been an absolutely ridiculous deal to work, like, during the pandemic. Like, you bought it pandemic time and then just experiencing this entire situation like at the hardest possible time um how well done you don't yeah i mean we we um were i mean quite fortunate to have a fixed price uh, contract on that and just like like a lot of builders who sign up for that that's not what they sign up for right like their costs are significantly higher than, than probably what they ended up charging us so I mean, we could have said no. I mean, fulfill your contract, but in the end, what we did was we um, we actually um, ended up um, fixing up the builder for 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 a lot more than what we what we bargained for as a as a show of good faith because it's it's somebody that we've worked with on a few occasions. Um, but the other 
thing we didn't anticipate was the the profit on costs in in this project, which um, initially was sort of, you know, I'm happy to share the the, the percentages. I think it was sitting around about 19%, and it, and it um, it was substantially higher than I think it was sitting at sort of high 30s um, profit high costs. Which um, you, you don't expect going in. It's a bit of a bonus, but um, but when things go yeah, real yeah. return. What what does it what does it come down to? What does that nineteen to thirty percent? How did you get that ten? Uh, timing. So we like I said, we were buying when nobody else was buying, um, and yeah, and yeah. We, we stopped through the project, but a lot of people just gave up and decided not to build. Right. So um, I, I kind of feel like, in some ways, we're sort of hitting that mark now, where a lot of people are sort of pulling back going, Oh, development's too hard. You know, there's there's a lot of headwinds. Uh, are the banks going to collapse? Where are interest rates sitting at the moment? But I'm I'm sort of going. This this is this is perfect time for for getting into the market, right? Where nobody yeah. else. I'm kind of like I don't I don't want to say this obviously because it's not it's not a nice thing to say. But I'm kind of like upset that interest rates have now started to kind of level off. Because, oh, <laughs> because it's people, hard to buy. The, the content right now it's very hard to buy in good markets in good properties mm-hmm. it's very very hard to buy and if um if interest rates and sentiment comes back there's going to be a flood of people you know want to want to be property investors that are going to jump into the market and inflate things i thought we had another 6 months before that started to happen um but i am a little concerned it's going to it's going to happen now and it's going to be even harder harder to buy so if you are no not that we can give out any financial advice but i feel like People are ready to go and have the finance and are able to buy. Now, obviously, interest rates have risen a lot and some people can no longer afford that $550,000, $600,000 property. But there are a lot of people that have the money, have the capacity, have the income and are going to jump back into the market now that they see a little bit of sentiment fixing up um, next. But um, there's been a question. Sorry. Two questions. So um, this is this is from our guest next week, actually. Um, oh. So did did they? So this is he, he also does some stuff in Adelaide. So he wants to know, do, did these guest. require a private planner or was it a complying? So which one? Yeah. So it was um, it was a private certifier that signed these off. Um, they, I think, the the way it was designed, um, I think it ticked uh, like nine out of out of ten boxes. Like there were some things that sort of didn't oh, quite hit all the marks, but it was enough to get through a private planner, uh, private certify. And, and um, so it was, yeah, it was quite smooth. He, he approved it basically in uh, two weeks, which was, which was quite good. The, the subdivision itself does go through council itself. So, um, so while the planning, we, we knew we, we could build what we wanted to build to actually subdivide into three Torrance mm-hmm. titles. That, that took a bit longer, but because it happened concurrently, that was, uh, that was all okay. I think, Overall, it was, I think it was about four, four, five months for for approvals, which is um, which is very good actually. Pretty quick. You want yeah. to ask the other one, Joe? Is that the one? Uh, I don't know what the other one is. Oh, there's somebody that said, "How much would you expect?" So I imagine he's uh, Aaron's talking about um, profit on cost, which there's the magic number of twenty percent. Uh, Dan, is that the one that you is, is still being bandied around the development sort of industry? 20%. Yeah, exactly right. The magic number uh, of of twenty percent, but look, it, there's so many variations to that. It depends on deal size. Where is the deal? Um, are you including interest? 
population's time. Yep, the, the longer it's elapsed, the the the, the, the lower that's going to be. Um, but every every deal is different, right? And um, and you know, a, a deal that's fifteen percent profit on cost could could be fine if it's a one into one into two simple build, right? Whereas um, a, a hundred lot subdivision, you, you're probably probably looking at significantly higher in that twenty five percent plus. Um, not every deal, but it, it depends on the risk and reward, and and the profit on cost is one of the things that we that we look at. Yeah. Speaking of things to look at, we have the top five categories of due diligence. So I think like that's that's kind of what we want this session to be about, um, learning about how to do a development and um, how to do a development is purely, well, I guess, due diligence, right? Um, mm-hmm. Can you explain, well, maybe give us a, I don't know. Explain what due diligence because it's a bit of a stupid question. Let's just dive in. Let's get to the good stuff because we all know what due diligence is. Making um, sure yeah. it's good. Making sure it's going to make money, right? That's what due diligence yeah. is. Can you like. see the screen, um, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. So 57 steps is what we have. So this is what we uh, do at Craft Property. So my other hat other than property developer is uh, is working um, in, in – uh, as property director at Crowd Property. So part of uh, my role and, and my wider team's role is to ensure we do proper due diligence on, on a project. And, and this is what you see here on the screen is a 57-step process that was developed uh, initially over in the UK. We've had probably five, maybe eight iterations um, of that since then. This is uh, not the latest iteration. This is one of the earlier iterations of it. And uh, it may be a bit hard to read, but what it essentially does is it is it allocates jobs for for each person in our team to do. So this one is involved with the the borrower manager. This is the the um, the assistant uh, director who who does this. this. Is the property director. So I would I would do a lot of the work uh, in the third swim lane, and then other. So that involves people like the 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 wider investment committee. So we've got several levels of of checks. Um, that add up to the 57 steps. So some of that is internal, some of that is externally validated, um, and we'll go through a lot of this in detail. The key thing here is that you do due diligence and you do it well and you do it consistently. Um, and if you think everything is a green light, probably do more due diligence because <laughs> um, the, there's there's not many deals that are completely uh, completely green lights. Yeah, yeah. So So... Is this due diligence talking about actually finding the deal and crunching the, the due diligence on that? Or is that after once you've you've kind of committed to the deal? Yeah, so, so this due diligence, sorry, I should have explained that. So this due diligence is when people submit their project to us for funding. So they, ah. they so we, we would look at it from the perspective of, right, does it fit the criteria of the credit policy, for example? Is there enough profit on cost? Uh, does the developer have enough equity in the project, so on and, and so forth. So, um, so yeah, so this is after um, uh, after they submit the project. But if you go to the next page, um, uh, Joe, um, so we've got a, a bit of a checklist that the developers, so this one's for, for the uh, developers out there that they can use um, to, to make sure that their, their project stacks up right? Because these are the sort of filters and, and, and research that we'll be doing. So we, we expect the developer to have already done most, if not all of that, um, when they've acquired the project. So let's let's dive straight into it. So market data. So we look at things like um, values by, by type, uh, 
square meterage by type. So is what they're building um, typical of, say, a three-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-garage dwelling that in, in that suburb? Is it are we pitching too much at the higher end or are we going too low market for the area? Making sure there's enough transaction volume. Um, is there enough three-bedroom, two-bathroom, two-car properties that are selling that are new? Um, if there's three per year, that's you're kind of almost um, <laughs> you're kind of almost pioneering. If there's thirty, if there's three hundred, um, then you probably consider the other side, right? Is there too much competition in the area? So, um, whilst there's no magic formula, it's it's really important that you consider the sort of supply and transactional volume, and then comparables. What, what are they selling for? How much is how much are they getting? What are some what are they what have they done wrong uh, on a particular project to, to have gotten a, a, a penalty on their price? What do they do right to get way above um, what the average development sells for? So that's that's the market data. The next one is third-party references. So delving into that a little bit further, we look at things like land titles, um, council overlays, Department of Transport, if, um, if it's in an area where um, there's state roads, for example. We look at um, sales volumes and sales data again. We even, we even talk to real estate agents um, who have sold property in the area just to get their gauge of what they think of a, of a development. And if they were to sell one, would it, would it be easy to sell? Would it be difficult to sell? What would they recommend the floor plans to be? Um, valuation and, and validation. So this is where we get third parties involved. So if you submit a project um, um, to Crowd Property, one of the things that we do uh, once we've once we've reviewed it is actually to do a uh, a third-party independent valuation. So that's a qualified valuer doing a, uh, a commercial valuation. So um, when, when you purchase a, a normal investment property, land with a house on it, it, it would, what, take two days to, 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 to get a, a turnaround on, on, on that valuation? Yeah, that's doing what they call an as-is valuation. So the land and house exactly as is today. So, but when you do a commercial valuation, what, what that involves is, um, much more detail. So, so you, one of the things they do is what they call an as-if complete valuation. So with the specifications that you've submitted with the approvals and with the level of finishes, if that was built today, what would that market value be? So you can see there's a bit of um, predic prediction here, right? Like the valuer has to, yeah. based on your drawings, figure out what today's value is and, and that's why it takes a long time so it could be you know as quick as a couple of weeks it could be as long as uh, a month to for them to do that valuation um and and that valuation provides some insight as to what the valuer is worried about on that particular uh, what the risks are so that's good feedback for us assessing the deal that's also good feedback for um or the developer getting into the deal to know that a third party has has looked at it independently um, and has reviewed the project as well. So that's that's pretty much the process, right? Market data, third party references, so getting you know checks by by other people, valuation and validation, and the borrower project information. Yeah, so so borrower, so we find out about the borrower themselves why they want to do this development, um, yeah. uh, their their costings to make sure that. They've got all their T's crossed and I's dotted. Um, on the um, that's yeah, that, that's something we we also look at. But if you're a developer, also ask yourself, you know, are you doing this to hold? Or are you doing this to sell? 
um, make sure you've got a clear path to that and and stick with it um, whether things are going well or or not um, on the right hand side we've got um, in-house expertise so um, so the uh, so within crowd property it says a hundred but we've we've probably got a a, a wider um, uh, uh, expertise now we've probably got about 150 years of, of property development experience in-house um, and I, I would say that you know once we uh, once we do the project it's it's learning by doing and we're, we're always learning ourselves on on new things there's there's things that um, none of us have seen but we've we've uh, we've also realized that everyone's learning on, on, on their process. So um, so it pays to have that expertise on the team to maybe provide some early advice on deals and um, and maybe some maybe anticipate some issues that, that you may not have foreseen. Have you zoomed, zoomed enough, Joe? Is that the, That's as far zoom? as I can zoom. Oh, yeah, fair enough. That's, that's pretty good. So in terms yeah. of um, when, when, you, when you talked, because I think this is one of the, the parts that people potentially underestimate uh, if particularly if you're going to sell exit strategy consultation um typically <clears throat> how many exit strategies would you like to see in or in a project or how many do you do in yours do you like to have three or four or is is mm. one enough depending on the project yeah i mean there's two main ones right you either sell it or you keep it one consultation or two <laughs> Um, and and look, all jokes aside, um, be very clear when you're doing a project what you're intending to do because it affects things like structuring. Like if you're going to keep both of them, do you really want to subdivide? And again, this is not advice, right? But these are some of the things you you should be considering. Like, do you really want to sub subdivide and pay two sets of you know land tax and pay two sets of council fees, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? Um, or if you're going to sell, well, you better well make sure it's subdivided because you can only, if, if you have two that's not subdivided, then you can only sell it as, as one and that'll dramatically decrease your um, the value on the, on the back end. So it's really important. And, and the other thing is if you're holding it, um, are you able to refinance it with, a, um, with a, a, a bank, for example, to hold it for that, you know, that 20 to 30 year year term so um so they're, they're just some of the some of the considerations and some of the things that we we actually ask developers when they come in for for funding um digimaps we've we've sort of spoken about that before uh, topography street view overlays flooding etc etc that's that's pretty that's pretty um, and you're doing all of this before you commit to the to the deal yeah so so a lot of this we're we're um we're asking the developers to provide us how they thought about these things, um, yeah. and, and we'll maybe highlight something that that um, that the developer may have overlooked, and we'll, we'll say, "Look, hey, um, you know, Joe or Jeff, have, have you thought about the fact that it's in a bushfire zone, or have you thought about the fact that it's abutting a heritage um, property next door? And when you do your development, you need to you need to make sure you're not affecting the heritage nature of your neighbour." those sorts of those sorts of things and and a lot of times they have a lot of times they haven't so it's just about whether they've thought about these additional risk factors um are there and, deals that you do where it's a beautiful deal it all stacks up from a, a, a fantastic deal but then the person that's submitted it to you just isn't isn't a developer they're not they're not the type of person that should be doing this deal um and then you just have to turn it down 
Yeah, exactly right. So this is this is part of the the team that we spoke about earlier on. Um, uh, who is the team? Now we we will look at um, potentially funding first time developers. There is everyone's first development, but how much skin do they have in the in the game? Who is their wider team? Are they being mentored by people who have done this before? Uh, how much time are they dedicating to this? Those are sort of, sort of questions that we that we try and tease out. And for their first project, is it a one into two subdivision uh, and build, or is it a one into thirty lot subdivision? Right, the risk profiles of those are, are very very different. So, um, so sometimes we'll stipulate that um, that they engage a project manager to do a lot of the. Um, the running around on the project for them uh, if if we feel that they're, they're not um, if they don't have the time or they're not quite capable of delivering a project of that size um, so so we've we've done that on a recent recent project uh, as, as well to make sure that there is good um, oversight I guess on, on that particular project the, the project was great it was just we needed somebody yeah. who was a bit more switched on to to run it and how um did that affect the the ROI of the deal uh, not a lot. Not a lot, actually. Um, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't wasn't a a, a big cost. Uh, it was a a relatively large subdivision, and they had, um, you know, very high uh, six figures in terms of profit. So it was barely a dent to get a project manager onto the onto the thing. And and they're worth their weight in gold, especially when it comes to things like um, drawdowns and making sure that the builders have. Have, have built what they're supposed to have built and, and resolving issues that are on site as well. So it's, it's proven to be quite invaluable. Um, one, one last thing on, on this slide, if I, if I may, sorry if I'm yeah, going course, over time here. Um, resilience data. So this is, this is actually mm -hmm. quite critical because we look at up to 20 years of suburb data for that particular development. Now, in that 20 years, we see areas, uh, times when it's been really good and they've, they've gone up in value. There are times when it's really come back. So in suburbs, uh, like recently, that's come back, you know, 15, even 20%. So we incorporate that into our assessment process. And we say, look, even if the value falls by that 15 to 20%, can yeah. our investors, can we still do the deal for the developer and can our investors mm. get money back if they invested in it? So that's, um, that's, that's quite crucial, I, I think. Yeah, that what if analysis. What if rates rise by three percent? What is going to happen to this deal? What if I run into, I hit a stormwater, like I hit a, a pipe and it bursts, and it's going to cost twenty thousand dollars? What if the demo takes six months longer? What if, what if, what if? And if you can then smush all of those together and you're still making money, then you may be onto a maybe onto a winner there. Yeah, that's such a good. Is point. that is that twenty that twenty year suburb reports? That's sort of like a an absolute premium core logic sub, or subscription, isn't it? Like, how do you access? Like, it's like a yeah, there's, yeah. There's there's various ways you can you can get subscription to that, but it, let's let's just say it's it's a paid service. <laughs> it's not yeah, it's not available. Definitely not a cheap one. Yeah, <laughs> don't chat about that one offline. <laughs> and then share it, Jeff. Share it with the world. <laughs> oh god okay so we got a fun little spreadsheet here um yeah, so i don't know fizo is it this is a fizo so don't tell me you do fizos as well not. so so this is this is when we input data into our own appraisal sheet um, oh. you can see there's yellow this is the areas where we can input things uh there's the green where um it does uh some calculations for you and then there's the red the red is where it highlights 
issues with the project that don't normally fit into our um, our, our policy and our criteria. Now we don't we recognise that every deal is different, so we don't reject all deals that um, uh, that have red flags. But we do look at those red flags and go right, knowing what we know is is the risk worth taking for the developer, uh, and should they really be doing the deal? So so we make sure that. Um, several checks, right? So this goes to not only us and the credit team, uh, which consists of, you know, Jack, uh, Peter, Alan and I, uh, but it goes to the wider investment committee, which involves uh, senior management and in crowd property in UK, uh, as well as here as well. So it, it goes through different levels. It also goes through our uh, trustee key, uh, which is another layer of, of safety because they need to comply with all the requirements uh, with ASIC as well. So it's not just Daniel He saying, <laughs> this ticks boxes, therefore we should fund this deal. There's uh, there's quite a few layers involved here. There's a great question here. What are some red flags that that, that kind of come up? Yeah, very, very good question. Um, look, it, it could be um, deal related. It could be borrower related. And I think we've, we've actually gone through some of these um, just now. So one of the things, one of the common ones is there's not enough equity in the deal, like as in the developer mm-hmm. hasn't put enough money into the deal himself. And, and hurt and money, they call it. Hurt money, right? So in the game, um, whatever, yeah. So for example, if we, if we fund um, 80% of the cost of construction, um, are they putting in the 20%? If they only had 10%, then they need to go out and raise raise some money. And we've we've um, we've not done deals in the past where um, they needed to raise. I think it was it was a uh, hundred fifty thousand, and they only raised about fifty to hundred short. So we, Jesus. despite the economics stacking up, it it um, it was too much a risk for for us to take for the investors that we that we represent on the platform. So we didn't do that deal. Another one might be. Uh, First time, like yeah, like like we spoke about before. First time property developers who uh, are doing too big of a deal, trying to do a one into you know hundred subdivision, for example. Um, or another one might be um, the 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 end product is not reflective of the target demographic. So, um, going back to the example I gave earlier, if I had built you know one story, um, two bedroom, two bathroom one garage dwellings that probably would not have stacked up at all for that particular area because that's not what was in demand it was that extra bedroom uh, it, it was the extra space that they needed to to accommodate people and that's what that's what people wanted so love that yeah it yeah it's so important to do the due diligence oh god i've come do the diligence <laughs> i messed it up um around who is that what is the end product and do people actually want it? <laughs> I can I, I imagine you see so many deals where you look at an area and you're like, that that product is not suitable for the people that live there. That's just not gonna it's just not gonna fly. Can, yeah, can, can I ask still... a question about um, sorry, on, on the one what Joe carrying on what Joe just said there about it, it not flying, how much of it is is quantitative versus qualitative? Because you can look at ABS data and say, yes, that's the that's the data behind it, mm. but then is it also then a combination of speaking to agents as well? Like what's what holds a yeah, so, rating? So it, it is an art as well as a science, right? So you can you can do the best predictions and it could be a completely different target demographic. What we're aiming for is to is to maximize your chances of selling it to the target demographic that you're that you're targeting. 
and it could be something completely different, right? It could, you know, um, we had a professional um, by one of my developments. We had a downsizer couple. We had a first home buyer, um, and it just worked out that that's you know the three target markets that we were targeting. But it could have been very easily three downsizers, right? Uh, but what you didn't want to do is you didn't want to sort of cut out that that demographic um, completely. So, so one of the things that, that we encourage people to do is talk to talk to I mean talk to us if you're looking for funding but we can we can help you with stuff like that but also talk to the local agents who have got their boots on the ground for example yeah it's it's unreal the amount of like local knowledge that's available from a property manager about what kind of thing do I need like having that conversation to a property manager about a development that you're buying because you're going to rent it out what is going to be the best rental as well as speaking with a real estate agent what is going to actually sell this um so I'm excited to talk about something called the capital stack um, and we can dive, we can dive into that. Um, oh, but yeah. just, yeah. So for people that don't know what the capital stack is, it's um, well, you're going to learn. Um, <laughs> so I <laughs> don't know how to, I don't know how to promote <laughs> up, up the capital stack, but we're going to go to an ad and then we're going to be right back. <laughs> The amazing thing with commercial property investing is that in most cases, it's cash flow positive from day one, which means that you can drive those profits towards paying down the debt. There are instances with commercial property investing where you can actually have the property pay itself off over 10 years, which is absolutely crazy. With commercial property, you get massive net yield, so you can expect anywhere between 6 to 10%. And as we've seen in the current boom, these properties not only provide large cash flow, they do certainly grow wildly in value too. Now, with big rewards comes some risk, and this is why you should de-risk your investment as much as possible. And the way you do that is with expert due diligence. And this is why we highly recommend people hire professionals to help you along in your investing journey. Steve Polisi of Polisi Property is one such expert. Being a chartered mechanical and structural engineer in a past life, Steve draws on his analytical and mathematical skills to do that expert due diligence for you. With six years experience in the space, Steve has over 1,200 property transactions under his belt. He's the guy you want in your corner, crunching the numbers and finding the best properties in the best locations, along with ensuring that you avoid the mistakes. Steve has actually even written the book on commercial property investing in Australia. And not only is it a bestseller, I believe it to be the most comprehensive in commercial property investing on the market today. He's been generous enough to give us a massive discount for our audience of 50%. So use the code OZPROP, click the link below, get a copy today and start learning and getting on your commercial property investing journey. Turns okay. out, funny, I, I looked up capital stack and I, I went down the capital stack um, worm rabbit hole because I was just interested. But um, there's a podcast right. on it. But it'll, Sorry, go. You go, Jeff. No, no. Maybe you're best to ask this question, Jeff. The initial question about capital stacks. Yeah. So tell us what what is what is uh, about what what is it about a capital stack and why is it important for your development? Yeah. Very good question. Look, uh, every single financier that's been on a podcast or a presentation butchers the capital stack, right? They put up this pyramid, and you've got your equity at the common equity at the top, and the senior debt down the bottom, right? Um, it's important to know 
if so two perspectives one is if you're doing property development there are many ways to skin a cat so you require a million dollars in funding for a project you can get that through by uh, by getting common equity you can get that by getting preferred equity you can get that through mes debt you can do that through senior debt as you progress down the lower the risk the lower the return so senior debt is generally the cheapest which is the the area that we play in the common equity is the highest risk and highest return because that's put a risk first. So mm-hmm. from the yeah. from the yeah, let's bring interrupt so it makes sense. Yeah. yeah, and can you explain what the heck um, a common equity? Now I just know equity. I know when I buy a thing and it goes to two hundred grand, um, you know, thousand dollars increase. That's yeah. my equity. What is common equity, preferred equity, mezzanine debt, and senior debt like? Um, yeah. Uh, give us so, a run through. Yeah, absolutely. So so common equity is typically where the developer sits, right? So that's the riskiest amount of equity or money you put into the deal. And the reason why it's the riskiest is because it's the first money to go into a deal and really the last before all of the others get paid, before the preferred equity and the right. mes debts. Yeah. So if from the investor's perspective, if you're investing in common equity, you want a really high return for that because that's probably the riskiest on that on that scale. Conversely, if you're investing into senior debt, um, the return's not as high, but you've got a very good chance of getting your money back along with interest payments as, as well, right? Because you're into the deal last when everyone else has put their money in and you're also, once the, the property is sold or refinanced, you get your money out first. So the chances of, of, of getting that back is is really, really high. So, so what are some life, examples life of senior? Last in, first out. Last in, first out. What are some examples of um, senior debt? Like who is the typical senior debt tour? The banks. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. There's a, there's a reason why the, the banks play in that space because it is safe. It's usually quite a chunky part of the capital stack. Um, and, yeah, and there's a, there's a pretty good chance that um, – that, that they get their money back on that because the because of the loan to value ratios. I'm going to use another another term here. Uh, if you're gearing at appropriate LVRs, then then there's a good chance you get that get that money back. Yeah. Okay. So the banks are taking the ta- the banks are taking that risk. Does every single deal have these four types of debt in them? Or no, not necessarily. Capital? So let's 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 take uh, a, a simple property purchase. Right, three bedroom house. You you're um, it's a million dollars. The bank will lend you eighty percent of that as senior debt down the bottom, uh, and you're putting in twenty percent for the deposit, five percent for closing costs, uh, and that's that's common equity. I mean, that's that's probably the the the, the most common way that um, that that a deal is structured. But you can get more creative than that. You can issue things like preferred equity, where it's not quite the the last out. It's out before the common equity. So there's there's essentially uh, less uh, less risk compared to common equity. You can also staple it to a coupon, for example, uh, where it pays an annual rate. Um, and then there's mezzanine debt, so it's it's debt like you're borrowing, but um, but it's it's at a uh, a mezzanine level, so just above the senior and just after the preferred equity. So uh, it's called mezzanine because it's kind of bridging the the, the gap between um, the equity and the, and the debt space. And then and there's- do people do deliberately get mezzanine debt 
or is it one of these things that just you accidentally go over a hundred grand and you need money right now, so you you have to pay that extra, you have to pay that extra capital, or do people deliberately go out there to get mezzanine finance as a part of their, you know, the part of the deal? Yeah, no, I mean, like as a, as a developer, you it, it's you, you try and avoid, but um, but if. <laughs> If you need, if you need to get the deal over the line to finish up the last, you know, um, finishings and, and bits and pieces, that that's what you need to. That's what you need to well, do. Well, yeah, right? your so, your deal, your deal is a perfect example of this, right? We're going through COVID. You think you're going to have a twenty percent return and a simple one into three subdivision, and then all of a sudden COVID hits, and then timeframes blow out by I don't know, you know, six months, twelve months. You're not going to have if you are floating by is that this is your first one into three you're not going to have a hundred thousand dollars to just sit there um but you're going to get the money it's going to happen you're going to get this 30 percent return but someone needs to give the the builder his 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 paycheck and pay the sparky and pay everybody um okay that makes sense yeah exactly right so on, on the whole scheme of things if you're making 30 plus percent on a on a development and you're paying a couple of percentage points on mezzanine debt, well, you'd do it any day of the week to get the deal across the line. And that's sometimes what it takes. Um, It's one of those things where um, you you may not want to use, but, um, but but sometimes you, you just need to use it. For example. Yeah. It's one of those, it's one of those things like um, embrace it when you have to avoid it, if you can, right? Like if you've got to use it, you've got to use it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Exactly. Like LMI. (laughs) um okay so one of the things that you've mentioned here as well is seven tips for a successful loan application um wow okay can we talk to because i feel like we've been hinting upon what uh, a crowd property is but i feel like it's now gotten to a point of i'm a little bit confused about what it is so let's just Let's just talk about what crowd property is and how it works. And then maybe we can talk about the, the, the loan approval and stuff like that. And then it will make a bit more sense. Um, Cause I think you, you guys play in a bit of an interesting space that um, not a lot of people know about, but um, hmm. could use. So, I mean, we're, it's very simple. We're an online tech platform and we do one thing and we do one thing very well, which is to connect property developers who need money for their projects with, um, everyday investors who want to return on their money. We're cutting out all of the people in the middle, uh, like brokers, um, like um, some financial advisors, for example, and we're just we're making it direct access in, in the middle for, for investors to invest money onto the platform for us to then to, to lend out to, um, to, uh, to property developers. Now, we, we recognise that your average everyday investor is not going to have the time um, or perhaps the expertise um, to do the due diligence that we do. So part of our service is to make sure that the, the, the projects that go onto the platform are qualified, are well curated, have the right amount of equity in the deal, um, are well due diligence throughout 57 steps and uh, are the right product for the area and so on and so forth. So, um, so we really do all of that hard work to make sure that the projects really stack up and we've got the right people running the project for the developer um it's about um understanding and 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 getting to know what you're trying to do right like um one of the things that i face as a property developer when i go out to get finance for my own projects is that you know the, the banks just don't get it like they're they're, they're lending to um 
uh, you know, for farm equipment, for for um, photocopiers and so on and so forth. But they don't they don't really get what it's involved in the construction project. Um, so for part of what we do and our wider team, uh, all of us have a property background. All of us have a um, whether it's Alan who's an architect or uh, or Jack who's who's done property sales um, or, or whether it's uh, Peter who's recently joined the team and he's done property development credit for, for a long time. Like they're intimately involved in uh, property projects and property in general. So that expertise uh, really counts for us to understand uh, or to help people understand the, the, their project and to, and to really get what property developers want when it comes to finance. So when it becomes one of these more difficult to understand from the bank's perspective type of deals, like a boarding house, a HMO, co-living, um, bridging finance, like we were talking about before, um, modular development finance, that would be incredibly interesting. I'd hate to, as soon as you start mentioning a trust to a bank, they lose their mind. I can't imagine what it would happen when uh, you talk about a modular development. <laughs> yeah, we've, we funded a, um, a, a few of these uh, in, in the UK, and look, they've worked really well. You get them, you get them up in in a matter of weeks, all prefab, pre-manufactured, and it just works, right? And and the key thing with doing more of these is um, not enough financiers understanding it to be able to get projects off the ground. So, um, so we're we're very proud of that. The the, the one section uh, in that last slide was the bottom right hand corner, which is special special situations, um, which is basically oh. anything that doesn't fit into <laughs> anything that doesn't fit into those categories. So if you've got a special situation, come talk to us. If it's a complex joint venture partnership, if uh, it's a an SDA or an NDIS project, um, if you've got development exit, if you've got multiple securities, like we've we've basically either done them or seen them in the past. So we're very happy to have that conversation. I can't, and, and this is not a paid sponsorship by any means or stretch of the imagination, but um, we don't um, do that. Uh, but I like the fact that you've got, you're held accountable on this side for the deal side of things. So you're trying to find someone to help them get that development. And then the investors are on the other side as well. And you've got to kind of make everyone, you're held accountable because that side has to be good. This side has to be good. And they have to yes. meet in the middle um, and get a good deal. So yeah, yeah. It's kind of like okay. the, the buyer's agents of development finance show, kind of. Well, the beautiful well, thing no, about it. Well, no, no. I mean, it's about finding because if the deal doesn't stack up, then yeah. you can't present that to your investor client. So the deal has to stack up, and you have to make yeah. it work. Otherwise, the investor is going to be pissed off, and the investors need to get a return. So the deal needs to needs to work. So okay, I like it. I like it. Exactly. I'll take um, two. How um, if if somebody were, how how long does it take to for a typical sort of fairly standard, um, development to to get a, approved if if it if it stacks up on your platform? Yeah, normally we're we're looking at um, I mean, to get an initial decision from us, they submit the project with some basic numbers and information memorandum, and we can generally turn that around in about seventy two hours as a as a early indicative. Wow. Um, now that's 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 pretty fast, right? And it doesn't cost anything to do that. You can just flick us an email with the project, and, and we can get that back to you fairly quickly. Um, but what's also interesting is from application to settlement, we're looking at you know sort of um, six, eight, maybe eight weeks. Now, typically, when you're looking at bank finance, you're talking you know six months from from when you apply. Uh, and I've 
personally experienced than this, which is just just frustrating. You're banging your head against the wall and it's just not fun. Um, and particularly when you're trying to scale up and you've got multiple projects on the run, you go, ah, here we go again, right? Well, another... the, the, other, um, the other challenge and, and um, that you'll probably, uh, a lot of investors, a lot of developers may find is, um, is that once you, once you go to a bank with a project under sort of two or three million, which which I'm sure is is a, quite a niche space, they typically they just don't want to know about it because there's not enough not enough margin, not enough fat in the deal for them to do it because they know if you're a developer, you're potentially going to sell it, and then they they're, they're not gaining the interest. So for them to give you a loan at four or five percent or six percent or whatever it is, they're like, well, where are we, where are they making their money on that? So yeah. It, it, Mm. Exactly right. The banks. I mean, the the, the unwritten thing is that you've you've almost to to get funding for projects. Um, the, what the banks are looking for is the the twenty five thirty year loan, right? To to lend to you, which is fine. Um, but that's that's their kettle of fish. And whereas for us, the the projects we love projects that are, you know, that six to eighteen month time frame. So. Um, that's what we find, you know, six months for a bridging loan, for example, or a quick reno, 18 months for a, for a development project. Um, and yeah, and our investors like that too, because they can invest, put their money in there, wait for the project to complete, and they can then decide what to do with their, with their money. It's not tied in for a long period of time. Mm, love that. Um, I am just cautious of time. We've got about 10 minutes before we have to um, wrap this one up. So anyone that has any questions, Daniel has a vast amount of experience in these developments. You you go through pretty much every deal that goes, that actually makes it to a certain stage, I imagine, Daniel, where you're dealing with the, the creme de la creme and I imagine you have a lot of insight into what actually, what what are some of the commonalities between an amazing deal versus a, a junky, crappy one? Yeah. What do you see? Yeah, what are, what are we seeing, right? Um, um, I mean, I this is a you know some, some people ask me, you know, what what makes a deal a good deal, and, and and I'll steal something from one of my mentors who've always taught me uh, in the last sort of fifteen years or so, and they've said, look, for a good property development, you just you just buy well, right? Make sure you buy the right property. Yeah at the right price and you guys you guys will know this right because uh, if you buy well then yeah. chances are it'll probably stack up and if it stacks up then you'll probably be able to sell it at a reasonable price and you'll be able to pay the builder for a reasonable price for the build and you'll be able to get finance for it you'll get investors for it it, it snowballs in a, in a positive manner but if you don't buy well it snowballs in the other way it's the what do you call mm. it the, uh, the non-virtual circle right so um so, th so that's one of the things that I've always looked at is is to buy well, and I've taken that to heart, um, despite very you know early stumbles as you've seen in my very first deal. <laughs> um, I've sort of taken that on as a as a mantra to move forward. And and to what you said earlier, Joe, it's sometimes the deals that you don't do that um, that, uh, that 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 really are good decisions as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like the only only take the the John West, only take the vest, reject the rest. I don't know if that's a that sounds catchy. Um, I, I want to know what what are the some of the and I think we've had some comments, so there might be questions. There was an interesting one from Brian, but I want to know what are what are some of the key things that a lot of people tend to overlook with with property developments. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a very good one. What are the common pitfalls of um, of developments, right? Um, I mean, there's 
there's there's quite a few, um, but some of the most common ones that that are over easily looked are just. I mean, we've we've talked about this product market fit, right? Make sure what you're building before you worry about the finishes, before you worry about the design. Be in the shoes of your end customer. So, the classic, you know, Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind, right? And this is perfect mm. for property development. Make sure you've got a picture of what it looks like at the end, and slowly work towards that. Um, a lot of people go, okay, well, my next step is to get planning approval. My next step is then to, to tender out for the build. My next step is then to subdivide, quickly losing sight of, of what the product looks like at the back end. Um, the, the second thing is probably finance. Like that gets very overlooked. Um, and probably, probably like. It adds so much expense. If you're not doing it correctly, it's yeah. like a percentage point is thousands of dollars. So don't mess that up. Exactly. Mm, sorry, we, we encourage people to no it's, it's it's exactly the point we encourage people to to talk to us early um even before they've secured the deal and say hey look daniel and the team what do you think of this development have you seen this before um and if it's a if it's a good deal we'll tell you um there's no charge to do that if it's a crap deal we'll tell you too right so 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 it avoids <laughs> you know the development putting hundreds of thousands if not millions to 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 make less money we we want to see Developers succeed, and we want um, investors who invest on our platform to uh, to to get their money and, and interest back as well, so they can go again for the next project. Mm, I love that. Um, one thing that I think that that would like to cover off is that you talk about like we've got one, we've talked a lot about the development side of things. Um, let's just say you're a, an investor, but you don't have a um, hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand dollars to do your own development. Um, mm. What's the investor side? Let's talk to the investor side so we can we can cover that off. We've got some lovely lady here with a, a mobile phone. Um, but uh, what what is the other? What does the investor side look like for some of the returns that you can get? Because that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in how do I get my money? Yeah. So um, so it, it's important to distinguish retail versus wholesale investors, right? So so we've had a track record of being in Australia for. Uh, a year and a half and then eight years prior to that in the UK. So wholesale investors are those who um, earn over $250,000 a year, have over $2.5 million in net assets or can invest $500,000 in the one go. Now, that's that's not everybody. That's a select group of people. What we've done is we've democratised this sort of uh, property club that are usually exclusive to those who... Um, have high net wealth and high incomes, right? We, we've, we've made it compliant um, through years of, of, of hard work so that anyone can invest into property projects. Um, and that's from as little as $2,500. You can put it into a first mortgage-backed uh, uh, project. Um, we do all the due diligence. We, we fund uh, only about 4% of projects that are put in front of us. So we... We uh, eliminate a lot of them before they they uh, they make it to the next step. We do all of that DD for you. Um, we only lend up to seventy percent loan to value ratio, so the market has to go backwards for an insane amount before it affects your capital interest. And the the great thing is that that track record in the UK, um, we've been going for like I said eight uh, eight and a half almost nine years now, and and we've had a hundred percent payback on capital and interest and that's over 500 million uh, dollars worth of lending 
Uh, and so far, we've been we've been blessed with the fact that we were able to pay back every single cent of that, both in capital and interest. Uh, and we've continued that track re- record in the last sort of year and a half that we've uh, launched here in Australia. So we, uh, touch wood, want to keep that record going. But it also comes back to the level of due diligence that we do and also just the type of product. Like it, it is a first mortgage product, so you're in last, uh, you're out first, Um and these are just, you know, some stats um, over the last right. sort of um, uh, over the last eight and a half years. We've funded one point two billion dollars worth of property, three thousand homes, five hundred uh, million, five hundred thirty million uh, amount lent. Um, so we've we've done this a few times before, right? So um, so yeah, so we want to we want to open this up to the wider public. We want to make sure that um, that. Uh, that uh, yeah, it's 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 available for everybody. So for those who, um, and again, this is not advice, but if you're um, if if you had some money and you wanted a, a return uh, from that money to invest into property loans with us, we will we um, we are happy to 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 have you there. Well, it's super interesting and obviously not financial advice, but um, when I was building my deposit, um, I was looking at all these alternative things to 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 do, like um, you know. Didn't you, didn't you do the like, vans, Joe? Did you do the vans? Or? I did. Yeah, I built a little van right. business. A little it's van empire. Or... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like do anything you can to get to get the to get the capital going, um, like to keep that money flowing until you have enough of a nest egg to be. I imagine the better side is the other side of your uh, of the business where you've got the development and you're the developer and then you're calling upon crowd property to say, hey, guys, I've got a cracker for you. Get your investors on board, and we can uh, we can we can sort them out. No, but it sounds like like both sides are great, but use them. They're they're there for a certain a certain type of person that ha- has certain type of things um, and requirements. Um, so yeah, for me it was it was uh, how do I make as much money as possible as quickly as possible to get me to my deposit to be allowing me to get to that get to that point. I like it. Be cautious of crypto, Joe. Be cautious. I didn't. Well, okay, I did buy. Five thousand dollars worth of Luna that went to zero, and uh, yeah. I was very upset about that. Um, but yeah, this is an interesting one. I, I want to guess. I, I love the questions that Brian asks. He um, he absolutely <laughs> nailed some of the questions then through. So he said, because I, I think this is interesting as well. What needs to change in Greater Sydney, Melbourne, for a simple demo and build one into two to work? Or I'll even ask it a different way. Does it? Or another part of the question is, does it work now? Or are we just looking in the wrong spot? Yeah, it's a it's a it's the million dollar question, right? Um, probably two million dollars in Sydney, but yeah, <laughs> you're probably right. Uh, two and a half as we speak. Um, look, I, th- there are suburbs around Sydney where probably in the last sort of six to twelve months, where traditionally numbers haven't really stacked, are starting to stack now, um, oh. and that's due to the fact that um, despite you know high interest rate, despite high build costs. If you're buying the right product in the right area, um, it, it certainly could be stacking up now because your entry price is much lower now compared to what it was 12, 18 months ago. Um, Melbourne, very similar, uh, very similar scenario where deals are starting to stack up now where it didn't before. Suburbs differ. Um, and if one suburb doesn't work, well, don't do anything in that suburb. Go look at the next suburb. And, and different suburbs have different um characteristics and, and performance criteria and different price points that that could that could work um so yeah so i think 
I think so what, um, what suburbs in Sydney are, are working, like are starting to work? Are so I want to ask the other question. How do I find the, I want to know the criteria because if, you, if I know the criteria, regardless of, this, of the suburbs, is, is that the 57 points I need to know? <laughs> so look, it, it's a very simple formula, all right? Like if, if, if so what's, what's the fixed uh, amounts in a, in a project, right? Your construction costs are fixed, right? Your in sales values are basically fixed. Um, so it's really a question of what you buy land for and where. Um, so mm. if you if you can look at a suburb where land is a certain percentage of um, of the uh, end sales values, then then you've got a good chance of of making it stack up. But to answer Brian's question, I think, and this is my personal opinion, not Crowd Properties' opinion, um, just probably we need we need more land. Really, uh, we need we need um, we need. Land available for development. We need probably um, zoning changes to allow for development, but mm. I'm probably speaking out of my depth here. Yeah, they <laughs> don't make. They're not. They're not making any more land. Um, Definitely they're not doing that. Well, it's interesting because that's what that's what Redham sort of a couple of weeks ago. He, he was he was talking about sort of looking at anticipatory uh, zoning changes and sort of saying, well, if that zoning is going to change, then potentially that's where a simple demo and build one into two or maybe it needs to be one to three. But at the moment, it's not currently zoned that. That's kind of where it potentially can work. But you really need to look into the, um, the LEP, local environment, land environmental planning, and all that sort of stuff to understand. You need to know what you're looking at, really. Exactly. And it's, it's worthwhile once you find that suburb, um, Brian, that, even, that stats up for you. Even um, to yourself. The, so others no, people aren't going to well. I mean, there's so many houses in a suburb, right? You can't do every deal out there. So I'm, I'm a big believer there's plenty of efficiency for everyone. But agreed. Yeah. area expert. Like if you find a suburb that works, know the good streets versus the bad streets. Do your due diligence on where the high sales are versus low sales. What it is you need to build? What's the product? Um, what are the recent sales? Become an area expert and then that hopefully gets you closer to being a good developer in that area. Yeah, that that stacks up. That stacks up. That's a good fees, though. That, um, yeah, I love that. Well, are there any where where are you typically doing? Where are you seeing some good value developments around? Like, are there? Um, actually, let me, well, let me rephrase that question. So, I imagine a lot of the people in our in our group are like one into three, one into five, like you know that type of thing. Where are you seeing the most value for bang for buck, or where are you seeing the most amount of those developments without giving away, you know, um, you know, yeah, any personal data? But where are some of the the locations that have the best smaller scale developments at the moment? Um, I mean, I may be biased, but we see a lot of deals everywhere. Like, <laughs> is um... <laughs> the worst answer ever. Yeah, like <laughs> there are suburbs that just work really well um you know the, the, the a, a lot of it is a lot of it is just doing enough feasibilities right like you know i, mm. I spoke about doing 100 feasibilities and and nothing stacking up or well, it could be the 101 feasibility that does um but if if, it, if you've done fizos for a couple of weeks and it doesn't work go fish in a different pond which is what i did went down to adelaide and th- what is that three out of ten stacked up there and so i thought okay well yeah. let me go do that my feel is that um coming back to areas that have been sort of suppressed in price like Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah. I feel it's probably time now. I'm not sure if you guys agree. 
um, it's it's where deals are done. It's where um, properties are, are stacking up again. Where in the last you know twelve eighteen months it really didn't because you, you couldn't buy anything unless unless it was cash in conditional thirty thirty um, <laughs> thirty day settlement. Right, I remember those times. So I think yeah, they're, they're in different parts of the country now. Like WA, but, um, Jesus. Yeah, WA is a, a tight tight market, but you know, does it mean like do you when do you hit the peak like the bottom right do you where do you want to buy on the on the graph what's the best best point to be buying and when's the best point to be to be selling um but and that's also one other thing about the end sale value you need to make sure that it's realistic right like you can't just say i believe that the market's moving so fast it's going to be worth 20 percent more and that's the only justification you have for your, your feasibility to stack up move on the deal doesn't make sense. Just move, just move yeah, on. Yeah, because I, I find a lot of and you, I'm sure you see this like every every minute of the day. You you see a developer or who it is, like it, mostly the ones who may have not done many deals, but they try and sort of they they massage the numbers to to make it work, and they're trying to convince themselves into the deal, and they make it, and that's potentially where you get yourself into trouble. Yeah, yeah, and you, you Sorry, can't account for. That, um, that, that there's going to be a 20% price rise in property by the time you finish your development. You simply can't account for that. We do all of our feasibilities uh, on, on today's dollars and any movement to the upside is is a bonus. Any movement to the downside um, is is eating away at your, at your profit and that's how we sort of need to be cynically, okay. unfortunately, thinking about these things. But if you're an investor um, and you go, well, you know, all of this is, too bloody hard like how do you how do you invest into into project loans uh, without doing all of the due diligence without like you might have full-time jobs you might you might just like property but not love property like like we do right so um yeah you know it's so how can people ones- learn more about crowd property <laughs> i feel <laughs> like you are I feel like this is an ad. This is not an ad everyone. It's just a very well put together slideshow that flows perfectly into every every conversation that we're having here so well done daniel on your um on your bloody presentation but how can people learn more about what you do mate because it sounds very very interesting um so you can um you can simply register to invest so take out your phones um we thanks to the pandemic we now know how to use our phones to scan qr codes now so um, just download the app that's so if you, if you want to scan it, you can do so now or just go to crowdproperty.com.au slash investors, register on the platform. Um, I think there's a couple of deals that are live uh, and, and uh, uh, being funded right now as we speak. So that you can take a, take a look at some of those and see whether whether you fancy them. Um, somebody asked what the rate is. Um, we're, we're sitting at around like that 8.25, 8.5% per annum uh, return Um I have to say, target a return um, uh, there. So if it goes to plan and you get paid back that, it's, you know, 100% of your capital plus the 8.5% per annum that you get in, in interest as well. It does get paid at the end of the project when they sell or refinance the project. Um, but, uh, but yeah, 8.5% is, is, the, is the going rate at the moment. I love, I love the Brian. Brian said Clayton's ad. I had, I had to Google it, and it's an ad from the eighties about uh, Clayton's ad. Is is it looks like a looks like a gin or something, or like a whiskey? Yeah, it's a whiskey. Jeez, there you go. How, how there you that? go. Brian. 
Brian's a source of, but yeah, sorry to take it away from crap property. I just, just had to, <laughs> I'm, I'm, when I see something, I need to know what, what it is and what it all means. What, what does it mean? Tell me what it means. Well, I feel like we've, I feel like we've had a great run through of what crowd property is and the development process. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a systemized process that you need to just follow every single time. No matter what the deal is, you have to follow the same kind of process that's suitable for that deal. And you've gone well into detail on it, Daniel. Thank you very much. Yeah, um, I, I, I suppose for me, yeah, the thing that I've really taken out from the session is, um, is if you're going to be a developer, you're going to need to understand all the aspects of the, of the deal. Uh, well, not all the aspects, but I suppose understand the, the high level and, and make sure you've, you've got very good answers for all these things prepared, whether it be whether you go to somebody like a crowd property, whether you go to a, a pro, even a private funder, they're going to ask, or even a bank, they're going to ask these questions like, what, what is the, what, how, are you, how are you sort of um, getting the approvals across the line? What are you planning to build? Why does that make sense for that area? So you need to have the answers to these tough questions. And if you haven't, um, and what are the comparable? What are the comparable end sales? If you don't have those things, and I think you need to go back to the drawing board and sort of fill in some of the dots before you um, start developing. Love it. Anything else you wanted to chat through, Daniel, before we wrap this thing up? Uh, no, I think we've we've chatted through um, you know my journey, uh, what Crowd Property does, and yeah, shared some hopefully useful stories and. Um, and had a bit of fun, right? So it's been it's been quite a ride. I, I, I really enjoyed. It. I hope it was enjoyable for everyone. Um, and yeah, I look forward to chatting to people about um, property developments uh, and or and or funding moving forward. So no, thank you, thank you so much for having me on. You t- you, t- you took it down as I was taking up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. uh, a lot of people saying yeah. nice things. Yeah. <laughs> And talking about the an, ad, an alcohol from the 80s. So, no, thank you very much for uh, – I remember we chatted, I think it was in March 2020. We maybe chatted before then. You had a meet-up in the city in, in about maybe 2017, maybe in a bit earlier than that. So I've known yeah. you now for probably at least seven or eight years, Dan. Um, or Daniel, oh so. Maybe so, longer so than that. Like yesterday. Uh, yeah, uh, I know. That was at um, that was at the the city RSL or something. I think something like that. There, so that's when right. I used to work. Yeah, meet up in restaurant. Too cute. Talk, you guys are too cute. <laughs> Wonderful session, mate. Thank you very much, Daniel. Let's go buy a development property. We'll catch you guys later. See you guys. Hear more interviews and share your story with some of Australia's top property experts and commentators now by joining the Oz Property Investors Facebook group with over 25,000 property investors so we can all become better property investors together. Just a quick reminder that anything we covered on this podcast is not considered as financial advice. This is general information only. You need to go and speak with your qualified professionals to understand your unique circumstances as this is general advice only. If you got any value out of this podcast, feel free to recommend us to your friends and leave us a review. Thank you very much for listening and have a fantastic day. Let's go buy property.